Content on this podcast may contain elements that are not suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Episode 7 of The Crime Shack. This episode is going to be a multi-part episode because there is so much information in this particular case. This could be a serial podcast on its own as it's that crazy and convoluted. Be sure to head over to thecrimeshack.com for all available episodes and show notes, and also like and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. On April 21st and 22nd of 2016, eight people, members of the Roden and Gilly families, were murdered presumably in the middle of the night or early morning in Pike County, Ohio. The Roden and Gilly families were a close-knit group who would raise fighting roosters, breed dogs, and salvage cars for sales. They would often participate in local community pastimes like the demolition derby and four-wheeling. The county where the Roden and Gilly families lived was Pike County, Ohio, which is situated in the southern portion of Ohio. It includes small-town communities, and the population in 2010 in the entire county was around 29,000 people. That was 10 years ago, of course. I'm sure it has an increased population today. Pike County lies in the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains, is about 80 miles east of Cincinnati, and is best known for the uranium enrichment plant located in the town of Piketon, which is one of only three such plants in the United States. If you pull up a Google satellite map of Pike County, Ohio, this will give you a pretty clear picture of just how rural this community is. Lots of land with small houses sprinkled throughout. Piketon County is surrounded by Pike Lake State Park, Pike Lake State Forest, and the Scioto Trail State Forest, which provides the residents with thousands of acres of forest lands to go hiking, fishing, biking, camping, and hunting. For being such a small community, Pike County does its best to include festivals and fairs for families to enjoy throughout the year. The Pike County Fair usually runs in July and August, and the Pike County Dogwood Festival, which celebrates the legend of the dogwood tree, is usually held in April. Pike County is one of those tight-knit communities where just about everyone knows each other, and the victims in this case were no exception. They were a large, well-known family within the community. As most of the general public, I first heard about this case on the news at the time it happened, and I remember thinking, wow, eight people murdered. Who could possibly have planned to do something like that except some kind of gang or organized crime syndicate? What would be a compelling reason to murder multiple people, let alone an entire family, in the middle of rural Ohio? The eight victims were all in some way related to one another. They were not all living in the same home at the time of the murders, but were spread out among four different properties in the towns of Piketon and neighboring Rarden, Ohio. Seven of the victims were killed in three separate trailers on the same rural property, and the eighth victim occupied a separate trailer about six miles away. Most of the victims appeared to have been sleeping at the time they were shot. The victims were Christopher Roden Sr., 40 years old, Dana Lynn Roden, 37 years old, who was the ex-wife of Christopher Roden Sr., Christopher Roden Jr., 16 years old, who was the youngest son of Dana and Christopher Roden Sr. Hannah Mae Roden, 19 years old, who was the daughter of Dana and Christopher Roden. 
Clarence Frankie Roden, 20 years old, who was the oldest son of Dana and Christopher Roden. Hannah Hazel Gilly, 20 years old, who was the fiance of Frankie Roden. Kenneth Roden, 44 years old, who was the brother of Christopher Roden Sr. And Gary Roden, 38 years old, who was the cousin of Chris Roden Sr. and Kenneth Roden. On April 22nd, two 911 calls were placed from the properties of the victims. The first 911 call was made at 7.49 a.m. by Bobby Joe Manley, the younger sister to Dana Roden. Bobby would stop by her sister and former brother-in-law's property on Union Hill Road in Piketon each morning to feed their dogs and chickens. When Bobby arrived on the property, she first attempted to enter the home of Christopher Roden Sr. and Gary Roden, Chris's cousin who also lived in the home, but noticed that the door was locked. She had a key, so she let herself in, which is interesting to note because whoever had committed the murders had made sure to lock the doors on their way out. That's when Bobby discovered both Christopher Sr. and Gary Roden lying on the floor dead in the back bedrooms. She explains to the 911 operator that there is blood all over the house, and it appears that, in her words, someone beat the crap out of them. She is understandably distraught and out of breath during the 911 call. Back in the Yes, I need up, Jesse, at 40. Let's go. Hold on. Um, I need to tell my address. Give me just a second. We walked to the mailbox. I think my brother-in-law's dead. Okay, what's the address? Give me just a second. 911 call, Bobby Joe entered the second separate home on Union Hill Road and discovered Frankie Roden and Hannah Gilly both dead in their bed. Frankie and Hannah's six-month-old child lay between them unharmed. Their four-year-old son, who had been sleeping on the sofa in the residence in a separate room, 
was also unharmed. Bobby Joe's brother, James Manley, then arrived and went to check in on the third residence on the Union Hill Road property and discovered the dead bodies of his sister Dana, her son Christopher, and her daughter Hannah May. Hannah had just had a child four days earlier. The child was lying next to her in the bed when Hannah was shot and was unharmed. Hannah also had a two-year-old child who was not in the home at the time, but was with her biological father in another city. Unfortunately for poor Bobby Joe, due to the timeline of the 911 calls, she would become an immediate unofficial suspect and would be asked to take at least two polygraph tests, both which she passed. The second 911 call was made on April 22nd at 1.26 p.m. by Donald Stone, who, after hearing of the murders of the other family members on the news, went to check on his cousin, Kenneth Roden, who lived about six miles from the other properties on the Left Fork Road in Rarden. When he entered the home, Donald discovered his cousin dead from gunshot wounds. 911, there's Pike County, sir. Go ahead. Yeah. This is 911. Can I help you? Yeah, I need a, a deputy to come out to close to 799 Left Fork. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's all this stuff. It's on the news. Uh, my, I just found I just found my cousin with a gunshot wound. arrived on the properties, started to process the crime scenes, and began what came to be the largest investigation in Ohio history. Once law enforcement processed the scene and identified the victims, the cause of death for each of the victims was revealed, and it was astonishing. I'm going to break down the locations of the wounds for each of the victims. Christopher Roden Sr. was shot nine times. He was possibly awake at the time of the murder as there were signs of a struggle on his body. He was shot in his head, torso, and cheek, and he had defensive wounds to his right forearm that shattered bones, and he was believed to be among the first killed. There was at least one shot that went through a door before hitting him. Gary Roden, who was in the same property as Christopher Roden Sr., also had multiple gunshot wounds. Gary was shot two times in the head and one time in the face. In one of the shots, the gun was pressed against the side of his head so hard it left a muzzle stain. Dana Lynn Roden, the ex-wife of Christopher Roden, also had multiple gunshot wounds. She was in a separate property on the location, along with her son Christopher and her daughter Hannah. Dana was shot in the head and neck. She was shot four times on the right side of the head, and one time under her chin. 
Christopher Roden Jr., the youngest of the victims at 16 years old, was shot multiple times in the head. Hannah Mae Roden, 19 years old, was shot two times in the head. Clarence Frankie Roden, who resided in a separate house along with his fiancée, Hannah Hazel Gilly, was shot multiple times in the head. Hannah Hazel Gilly, 20 years old, fiancé of Clarence Frankie Roden, was shot multiple times in the head, including one time to her left eye. Kenneth Roden, 44 years old, who resided in a property six miles away, died from a single gunshot through his right eye. Bruising was found on some of the bodies, indicating that some of the victims were awake at the time, or they struggled or were beaten by the assailants. An estimated total of 32 shots were fired, and it was confirmed that none of the victims committed suicide. It became obvious that this was nothing short of a planned-out execution of multiple people at multiple properties. Local and state law enforcement worked through the night on April 22nd, obtaining search warrants, gathering information from the remaining family members and community members, but were provided with no solid leads. They had no initial answers or suspects for the crime, and they wouldn't for the next two years. All they did know was that it appeared to be a pre-planned, calculated murder and that the family had been targeted. Meanwhile, in the small community of Pike County, residents were concerned for their families and wondered if there was a killer on the loose or if their family was next. Trying to create a sense of normalcy among the tragedy, Pike County continued to hold their annual Pike County Dogwood Festival the same month as the shootings, but it was obvious that the recent murders affected the community. Attendance was much smaller than normal that year, as the attendees couldn't help but ask each other if each had heard about the recent murders. Three days following the murders, the Ohio Attorney General's office confirmed that marijuana plants were present at the Union Hill Road property and included an indoor grow house where an estimated 200 cannabis plants were grown, presumably for sale, not personal use, and cockfighting operations were present at some of the rodent properties. They didn't confirm any connection to this to the murders, but speculations arose as to the reasons why they would have been murdered, including links to drug cartels. When this information came out in the media, that was the consensus, that because there were drugs involved, that it had to be a crime related to the sale of narcotics. Pike County was no stranger to drug issues. In 2010, 22,000 cannabis plants were seized by authorities in Latham, 15 miles west of Piketon. And another cannabis growth site was found in 2012 and contained about 1,200 cannabis plants. In both cases, connections to the Mexican drug cartels were suspected. When interviewed by authorities, some family members of the Rodens admitted that both Christopher Roden Sr. and Kenneth Roden grew cannabis, but of course stated that they were not aware of any high-volume growing operations. On April 28, the funeral for Gary Roden was the first to be held in South Shore, Kentucky. Hannah Hazel Gilly was next, with her services held on May 1st in Otway, Ohio. Funerals for the remaining victims took place on May 3rd at West Portsmouth with a high level of security. Many members of the community attended the funerals and memorial services. 
the Attorney General Mike DeWine approved more than $20,000 to help pay for the funerals of the victims. A reward of $10,000 was also authorized from the Southern Ohio Crime Stoppers Fund on May 10th, but due to a miscommunication and a misunderstanding about public notification, it was not announced by authorities until 10 weeks later on July 21st. There was also a reward offered up by a Cincinnati-area businessman named Jeff Ruby, who offered $25,000 for information leading to the arrest and conviction of anyone involved in the shootings. But there was a concern if he would withdraw the reward due to the developments of the cannabis operations. Here's Jeff Ruby talking to Inside Edition about the reward. Local restaurant owner Jeff Ruby is putting up a $25,000 reward for the capture of the killers. Stephen Fabian asked him about the marijuana connection. Can you shed any light on that situation? I don't know anything about it. Somebody tweeted me, are you still going to put the $25,000 if this was in drug involved? I didn't even bother responding to that tweet. Uh, do we still want those people on the loose? Strangely, following this interview and on April 28, 2016, Jeff Ruby withdrew his reward citing recent complex criminal developments in the case in a post on Twitter. So maybe he had heard that someone in particular was being investigated. As police continued their investigation, the belief that more than one shooter was responsible began to surface. This belief came about because two of the properties were within walking distance of each other, the third was about a mile away, and the fourth property where Kenneth Roden was murdered was about six miles away. The fact that the shooters made efforts to cover up their tracks and not leave any forensic evidence indicated to law enforcement that this was a sophisticated and planned operation. As there were no suspects identified at the time, police didn't know if the suspects were still on the loose or if any other family members were also in danger. They told the surviving family members to take necessary precautions. I advised them as their sheriff to be armed um, and to use caution because they were a target. It's evident. This was an extremely large investigation. The Ohio Bureau of Criminal Identification and Investigation led a task force of about 100 members in the investigation. That, combined with law enforcement personnel, resulted in over 250 officials being involved in the case. Sheriffs from 25 offices across the state of Ohio also offered to provide their resources to Pike County. The FBI, of course, was also involved, as well as the Drug Enforcement Administration, and provided their expertise and advice to Ohio's Attorney General Mike DeWine, but did not take over the operation. At the initial stages of the investigation, more than 50 people were interviewed and at least five search warrants were executed. A total of 79 pieces of evidence were examined, and that included a Facebook threat to Christopher Roden Jr., which was posted on the social media site prior to the shootings. With no suspects identified and no leads, the investigators continued to gather multiple pieces of evidence, focusing mainly on the crime scenes and victims' properties. They towed several vehicles belonging to the Rodens and collected more than 400 tips from the public as well as held hundreds of interviews. On May 12th, the Attorney General and the Pike County Sheriff announced that they were going to relocate the mobile homes of the victims to a secure location to preserve evidence and protect the property of the Roden family. 
Six months later, the mobile homes and personal property were returned to the victim's relatives on November 24, 2016. Let's talk about the surviving children. The three children that were spared and left unharmed during the shootings, which is unusual in itself because if it was a gang killing or a drug cartel murder, why would they leave the children unharmed? They have no moral compass. There's no compelling reason to leave any witness or really anyone alive at the locations, no matter what their age. So did the killers have a conscience? The children were three-year-old Brentley Roden, son of Frankie Roden from another relationship, six-month-old Ruger Roden, who was the son of Frankie Roden and Hannah Gilly, and four-day-old Kylie Roden, who was the newborn daughter of Hannah Mae Roden. Following the death of their parents, both the four-day-old and the six-month-old were placed in protective services. Three-year-old Brentley is now in the custody of his biological mother, who was not involved or present during the shootings. 19-year-old victim Hannah Mae Roden's two-year-old daughter, Sophia Wagner, who was luckily with her biological father, Edward Jake Wagner, Hannah's ex-boyfriend at the time of the shootings, was not harmed. Edward Jake Wagner, the 24-year-old biological father of Sophia Wagner, is the son of Angela and George Wagner III. Jake also has an older brother, George Wagner IV. Jake lived with his parents and brother and grew up in South Webster, Ohio, about 50 miles east from the Rodin's property. We don't know much about how the relationship between the Rodin's and the Wagner's began, but we do know that Jake Wagner and Hannah Mae Rodin lived together at one time, during which they had Sophia, who was born in November of 2013. After a couple years, they eventually broke up in March of 2015. At the time Sophia was born, Jake worked on his family's farm. The Wagners were considered to be a good Christian family among community members and were known for their vast property holdings. Jake's grandmother, Frederica Wagner, has a 2,000-acre ranch in Lucasville, Ohio, called the Flying W Farm. If you want to check it out, it's www.flyingwfarms.com, which is known for breeding and selling miniature horses, as well as a trademarked dog breed. The family also got into breeding miniature Vietnamese pot-bellied pigs. They like their miniatures, I guess. Reportedly worth anywhere from $1,000 to $20,000 a piece. On April 28th, six days following the murders, Jake Wagner filed a petition to the court asking for full custody of his daughter and was granted full custody in May of 2016. When the media questioned Jake and his mother, Angela Wagner, about this petition being filed so close after the murders, they insisted that there was no custody battle, but that they'd been working with a lawyer in the weeks prior to the murders to formalize a verbal, not a written, custody arrangement with Hannah Roden. Relatives of the Rodens said that Jake Wagner and his father, George Wagner III, had argued and fought with the Rodens in the weeks prior to the murders, trying to get custody of Sophia. But this was disputed by Jake Wagner. Jake said that he didn't go to Hannah's house prior to April 22nd and demand she sign over custody. He didn't want that. 
but rather wanted to continue the arranged shared custody agreement because it was working just fine. As this interaction between the Wagners and Rodens was made apparent, this triggered a new direction in the investigation. It had been slightly over a year since the murders, with no arrests made, when in June 2017, Attorney General DeWine asked for the public's help to report any information that included business interactions with the Wagner family, specifically information regarding vehicles, firearms, and ammunition. At this point, the Wagners came out and claimed that they were now being publicly singled out and harassed. So what did they do? They sold their farm and moved to a remote part of Alaska, which if you want to drop off the grid and disappear, it's pretty easy to do there. In part two of this series, we'll find out if the Wagners move off the grid was to truly avoid harassment or if there was a darker motive at play. This wraps up episode seven, part one of the Pike County Murders. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and rate the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts so you can be sure to catch the next episode. Be sure to check out our website at www.thecrimeshack.com for the latest episodes and show notes. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The Crime Shack Podcast and on Twitter at The Crime Shack.